The quick note is Syracuse added Wagner to the schedule in 2022. I was up late last night writing a column, which I'm, I'm going to discuss with you here shortly if you haven't had a chance to read that. And again, if you haven't, how dare you? And it was noted on Cuse.com at midnight. Happened to be up at midnight. Uncle Brent was up late last night. Oh, yeah. Lots of coffee today. And there it was, Orange to host Wagner in 2022. And I was looking at it, and I said, boy, that 2022 non-conference slate, I know I'm skipping over a couple of seasons, this one and next year, right? But when I looked at it, this is what Syracuse has lined up, and it's all set for its non-conference slate in 2022. September 10th at Connecticut. Nice, easy game there. Connecticut has been just a grease fire of football in the past couple of years. They're now an independent. September 17th, home against Purdue. We'll see how Purdue is. They've had some decent teams, some decent players in recent years. That looks to be the home opener in 2022. September 24th, there's the Wagner game at home, and then TBD at some point of the schedule, Notre Dame is back on the schedule. So the 2022 non-conference slate set, there's your FCS game, there's your gimme game, there's your... Nice little practice matchup against Wagner. Okay, check. That's part one of our schedule run. Part two is this. The Colgate game this year, September 19th, the home opener, the debut of Carrier Dome, or the stadium, if you prefer, part two. Is it in trouble? Is it in jeopardy? Now, I don't want to alarm anybody here. I don't want to start, you know, anything that, could be construed as cancel the game, but the Patriot League put out some guidelines. Now, I want to get into this a little bit. Our friend Lindsey Kramer from Syracuse.com, the Swiss Army knife of Syracuse.com, as I like to call him, because Lindsey can write about anything, anytime, anywhere. Wrote about this yesterday, and it's interesting. So here's how this plays out, okay? And bear with me here, because here, here's what I'll do. At the beginning of this, before I give you the details, I will say this. They're going to play this game. Consider that an educated guess on my part. Can I don't want to necessarily say it's a report of any sort. I'm not there yet, but let's just say, based on some people I talked to today, they're going to play this game. Okay, But it is certainly worthy. It is certainly, <laughs> you have to note this, because as Lindsay writes about here, that's like, oh, that's interesting. So here's the deal. Patriot League guidelines announced earlier this week apparently create some tough math for the Raiders. Okay? The reason being, normally college football players arrive on campus for preseason work well before other students. For instance, this year, Raiders players were scheduled to return August 6th, and freshman students were to roll in August 23rd. But the coronavirus has changed such timetables across the country. Colgate has not yet announced when students will return for the fall semester and does not want to comment on athletic implications until the school's full plan is set. The Patriot League guidelines mandate that athletes and the general student body report to campus at the same time. It's unlikely that non-athletes would be asked to come back in early August. The much more realistic scenario is that everyone returns later in the month of August with no wiggle room for early arrivals by football players who need to get ready 
for September games. Said Patriot League Commissioner Jennifer Heppel, quote, I don't think there will be exceptions. This is a pandemic. Everything about the college football, or pardon me, everything about the college experience will be different. Athletics will be different. It's complicated. And because it's complicated, and because finances are complicated, they're going to play this game. Okay, Colgate is going to play this game. You cannot cancel games at Western Michigan and travel is basically, I don't want to say banned for Patriot League games, but they're saying if you can get there and back in a day, do it. If you have to fly or stay overnight, it gets more complicated. Well, obviously Colgate's right down the road from Syracuse, so that's not a problem. The financial reality of Colgate missing out a payout from Western Michigan, where they were scheduled to start the season, missing a payout on September 12th, against William and Mary, that wouldn't be a huge payout, obviously. The Western Michigan one would be. But missing a game and what would come from that at William and Mary September 12th and then missing out the the payout and the opportunity to play in the Carrier Dome in the home opener. Let me again say this. Lindsay is obviously has to report this. Patriot League guidelines, that timeline there certainly puts that story up front to say, well, how's this going to work? But as the commissioner of the league said, who I just quoted, it's complicated. And I understand what she's saying in health and safety and everything, but they're going to play this game. Now, it does keep in mind that games could get canceled this year for a number of reasons related to the pandemic. If that's a number of players test positive, have to be quarantined and You just don't have enough players to go out there if that's a number of coronavirus-related things, including this. Travel teams can't go here, there, everywhere. But you're telling me Colgate can't drive to Syracuse to play a football game, that they can't get ready somewhere else other than campus, that that football team will not find a way to get ready for the season. And Colgate, when they realize how much money they're going to miss out on, and other Patriot League schools, how much money they're going to miss out on, who are probably on the phone with that commissioner today saying, "Uh, listen, we're playing this game, okay? I understand what you're doing here. We get what the protocols are. We understand that we are in a pandemic, but listen, money, we need it, okay? So let's figure this out. Okay, that's part two of our schedule-related news Here's part three. I wrote a column about this today, and I will reiterate this point now on the radio. It is time for John Wildhack. It is time for Herman Frazier, Syracuse Deputy Athletic Director, who is primarily responsible for the football schedule. It is time for even Dino Babers. Thanks, Brent. You're welcome, Coach. To go over their contract with Liberty with a fine-tooth comb and find a way out of it. Now, I want to say this. You can't cancel this year's game. We were just talking about the Colgate game and how that could be in trouble, and coronavirus has put a lot of games, at least in kind of the shoulder-shrug emoji guy mode, like, I don't know. But it is unrealistic to, if you called Liberty today and said, we're not doing this, here's your check, thank you very much. Well, who are you going to get on the schedule at that point who hasn't made a schedule? That's an FBS football team. That's even some FCS teams, right? Like, you can't do it. So fully understanding 
This does not apply to this year's game, but there's a game next year against Liberty that Syracuse needs to take a long, hard look at. For a myriad of reasons. A myriad of reasons that include some student-athletes at Liberty that have left the school, including a couple of football players, for what they are deeming publicly racial insensitivity. You'll recall Jerry Falwell Jr. And Jerry Falwell Jr., the president of Liberty, commits like two or three controversies a week at this rate. It's like a frog hopping on the lily pads in the pond, so it's hard to keep track these days. But he recently tweeted out, You'll recall the governor of Virginia and the blackface photos that he was in in his yearbook in 1984, right? And then fast forward to 2019 and those photos surfaced and there was a controversy and he apologized for it. Remember that? Jerry Falwell recently tweeted that if he was going to wear a mask in that state due to coronavirus, it all kind of meshes together here, that he would only wear that photo on his mask, kind of trying to make a point about hypocrisy and Democrats and, I don't know, democracy. Yay, democracy! Anyway, a lot of people at Liberty were very upset with that, including some student-athletes that left, including 35 alumni and various other African-American leaders that very publicly said, uh, hey, Jerry, no. This is only scratching the surface. I do not have time in the remaining hour and 45 minutes of this show to list all the reasons... Just Google Jerry Falwell Jr. and have yourself a nice little time there. This is not one incident. It's the latest in a number of incidents. When Syracuse first signed up with Liberty two years ago, I was on this show and said, what are you doing? Why? There's so many other schools that you can play in football. Why give them the platform? Why give them the money, given who they are, what they represent, and... Again, a myriad of reasons. This is just the latest in what we're hearing. Syracuse, like other schools, all schools really at this point, have made very public statements about moving the conversation forward when it comes to race, when it comes to making a positive change, when it comes to being a positive catalyst in the Black Lives Matter movement and kind of taking this conversation seriously and taking this conversation forward. Now, I did not pull up the audio at this moment. I, I will, in fairness, so we hear the clip. But I asked John Wildhack about this on this show, if you'll recall, when we talked to John a couple weeks ago. This was before the football players that announced that they are leaving as they are deeming it due to racial insensitivity. So to me, the noise is too loud now. If you're Syracuse, you just have to ask yourself a very simple question. Is it worth it? And in the clip I'll play from John, he cited, and is fair to, that, look, Virginia, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, the U.S. Army, number of schools out there have scheduled liberty. You got to play somebody, right? It's time for Syracuse to... To, and they don't even have to make a, a big grandstand out of it. They don't have to say, we are doing this in the name of racial equality. They don't even have to do that if they don't want to go down that road. And here's where this gets complicated, obviously. Well, you still have to pay them. I think there are some out there that would say, well, why don't you just play them, kick their butt, and make your point that way, which is, I think, what the football team wants to do and those that 
that may disagree with what's happening down there, may be disgusted by some things that are happening down there. It's like, well, let's just kick their ass on the field. Fair. There are some teams available. I listed some in the column that I wrote. But I make this sound more simple than it is. Well, these schools are available. Just schedule them, right? It's not that simple. So you're paying off Liberty. Now you're paying another school to come in. And in order, look, Liberty, too, that's not exactly a barn burner of a home game, right? That's one of those days where it's like apple picking football, right? What's going to win? So Syracuse would then be tasked in less than a year's time, which is not easy to do when football schedules are made five, six, seven years ahead of time, to get a more name-brand team that would sell tickets to make up for the money you had to pay out Liberty. Just say, thanks, but no thanks, we're not playing next year. To me, it's worth it. To me, I think they should explore every option to do it and not continue to associate with that school, not only in football, but in any sport. Because what this time has called for is action, not statements and words and, hey, we're, hey, we're, we're, we're behind you. That would be a, a nice sign to show that not only are you disassociating yourself with a school where a disturbing pattern in that department is developing, but remember, Syracuse has some issues to deal with as well. The not-again-SU protests and how they felt on campus, how unsafe they felt, and the continued push that they've had. To tell Syracuse administrators, you have to create a a safe environment for us here. Now, the big difference is, at Liberty, you've got the guy at the top who's tweeting and making statements. And, look, he is a firm supporter of President Trump. That's his right. But in going down that road, you look at it and say, boy, this is the president of a university and some of the things he says and what he does and... You know what they say, don't mix religion and politics at a party. Let's say at a party, it's a radio show, pal. But yeah, it's it's a complicated issue where politics, religion, and sports all mix in together, and that's just an explosive combination. Bottom line is, at Liberty, it starts from the top down. The players that left, the ones that publicly cited they left, nine players have transferred since June 1st, which is noteworthy. The number of people that have left the university have resigned from the university, have cited leadership, have cited racial insensitivity. It's starting from the top down. It's the tone set. At Syracuse, it's happening from within. There were incidents on campus that the university is now trying to deal with and make a safer environment for, but it's harder to control, right? Because you're chasing people that, and who knows what kind of knuckleheads are just fueling this by writing messages on bathroom walls and everything, and it just became a huge deal. But when you really listen to what not again, as she was saying, and the broader message that was there. This was all before George Floyd, and this was all before everything we are in now. You looked at it and you said, well, this is a layered, complex issue, but they're addressing it. So those that look at Syracuse be like, well, what's up with you? You got these protests going on. You've got your own issues racially. Well, that's fair to point out, but at Liberty, it's the guy at the top who's lighting the fire, whereas at Syracuse... They're trying to find who set the fire to put it out. So you know what? I know it's not easy. Nothing worth it is, but it is time to cancel Liberty. It is time to move on. It is time to disassociate yourself with that school, even though you'd have to pay them. But you know what? There's a great scene in the movie of Bronx Tale, right? 
when Sonny he needs that twenty dollars from that guy, right? Or C, pardon me, C needs the twenty dollars from that guy, and Sonny comes along. He's like, "Well, what's the problem? What's going on here?" That guy owes me twenty dollars. He goes, "Yeah, look at it this way: it cost you twenty dollars to get rid of him, right?" That's how Syracuse has to look at liberty. Whatever it costs to write a check and say, thanks, but no thanks, we're going to move on, that's what it costs you to get rid of them and rectify the mistake you made by getting into business with them in the first place. And when we talk Cruton on this show, we turn to one man. He is the man behind CuseNation.com, a website that you should read, you should subscribe to, you should follow on Twitter, and uh, you should follow this man on the social media as well. Always a pleasure to welcome on the program, ladies and gentlemen, Mike McAllister on the block. How are you, sir? Brent, I am also weird in June, so I'm doing very well. <laughs> there you go. I, my compass is so off here. I'm like, wait, what? Baseball's just starting. There's going to be NBA in July, hockey in August, the Masters in, in November. Like, what is going on here? For the love of God, can football just start when it's supposed to start? And uh, where are we with that, by the way, with workouts and training camp and, and everything going according to plan? Are we still on track for all we know? For all we know, everything is still on track, yes. Um, now, there are a lot of skeptics in terms of whether or not the football season will go on as scheduled when you start hearing about teams like LSU and Clemson and Texas where they have dozens of players testing positive already. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think even though things are currently on track and on schedule to go on as planned, it is um, normal and um, probably smart to at least have some skepticism as to whether or not it's actually going to occur. Fingers crossed that it does. But, you know, when it's a pandemic and it's a virus, the virus cares not about our football schedule. It only cares about trying to inflict as many people as possible. So that hopefully we get things under control, we can get a vaccine in the next few months and get things cranking out back to some normalcy. And what we've seen across the country, Mike, you've certainly been following it, certain you know places where Kansas State, for example, had 14 uh, positive cases. So that takes a bunch of people off the field for a while in quarantine. Texas had 13. LSU had to put a bunch of guys into quarantine. And thankfully, a lot of those players did not show symptoms. They're not you know necessarily sick. They were just tested positive for it. But we all know, like, once we get to the season and campus life starts to be integrated again, this is all going to be one grand experiment. And what happens if that hap- if that does happen, if you have a cluster of, of positive cases, say, on a Wednesday of a game week, you might not have enough players to get out on the fields. So this, this is going to be, uh, at the very least, very fascinating to follow. Absolutely. And to, to take that into how that impacts recruiting, think about, how many seniors across the country are going into what's supposed to be their final year of collegiate eligibility? Well, what if you get into a situation where, much like lacrosse, um, the NCAA says, you know what, we're going to allow those players to have another year of eligibility if they want. What does that do for roster sizes? What does that do for scholarship availability? And then your ability to recruit players in the 2021 class you're recruiting right now as if it's normal. What if all of a sudden all your seniors are coming back and you have three scholarships available and you've got 18 players committed and or signed? So it brings up a lot of potential complications. And given the NCAA's track record, I have very small amounts of confidence that they will be able to handle this appropriately. 
We shall see, Mike. We shall see. I agree with that assessment, by the way. So when we talk uh, recruiting and we talk football recruiting and we talk quarterback, well, some eyebrows perk up a little higher. So let us discuss quarterback Justin Lampson, a Syracuse quarterback target. First I've heard of him when I was reading about him on your fine site. But for the audience out there, tell us about him and where do you think Syracuse stands with him? Yes, I've heard rumors that a quarterback position is pretty important in football. Um, yeah, Syracuse is recruiting Justin Lampson out of California. Uh, his only other Power 5 offer is Louisville, but he's got several others in communication. Um, where Syracuse stands with him is I think this is a Syracuse versus Louisville battle. As of right now, he's mentioning Wyoming and San Jose State as two other schools that are in kind of his – not official top four, but four schools that are standing out right now. He's looking to make a decision within the next week or two, possibly three, if he decides to drag it out a little bit. Um, so to me, this is Syracuse versus Louisville. This is about which coaching staff he has the best relationship with, which coaching staff he thinks can develop him the best, and where he sees the best opportunity to get onto the field as quickly as possible. I think Syracuse is uh, recruiting him extremely hard. I know they're in communication with him on a regular basis. Uh, the Lampson, um, Lampson and his, his parents had a uh, Zoom meeting with Dino Babers is either last week or the week before. So, um, you know, I, I, think, I think they're in as good position as anyone, and um, it's just a matter of whether or not they can convince him that it's a better spot for him at Syracuse than it is at Louisville. Mike, uh, to clarify, which class is he in? And kind of give me the Mel Kuyper Jr. breakdown of what kind of player you've seen on film so far. He is a class of 2021 prospect, so he wouldn't be coming in for this coming season, but would be a true freshman next year. Um, and so if Tommy DeVito has a tremendous year this year and decides that he wants to leave early and, and hit the NFL, uh, test the NFL waters, then he would be one of the guys in the mix to potentially replace Tommy DeVito, whether it's next year or whether he redshirts for a year and then decides to replace him or be in that mix. Um, but as far as what type of a player is, he is a dual-threat player. He, he runs the ball pretty well. He kind of reminds me of a slightly faster, not quite as powerful Eric Dungey in terms of his running ability. Um, and as far as a, a passer, you know, he is accurate. He's really only been playing quarterback for, for about a year, year and a half. He was a safety prior to that. He is very athletic. He does move very well. He can make the throws down the field 40, 50-plus yards. So he's got a big arm. He is accurate in a lot of those intermediate routes. So a true dual threat would be the highest-ranked quarterback commit Syracuse has had since Tommy DeVito um, in terms of, of what his rating is on 247 Sports. So he's, he's a really good player, a prospect with a ton of upside. I think his dual-threat ability is, is a perfect fit for what Syracuse wants. And then just because he's a dual-threat doesn't mean that he's not going to be accurate with the ball because he absolutely is. You think California is a long way to go to get uh, the latest Orange commit. How about Hawaii? And certainly we know about Dino Baber's connections to Hawaii. Uh, Ohana and and all the great expressions we hear that Syracuse football applies, but they got an offensive lineman from Hawaii and with Hawaiian roots. Tell us how they landed him and what kind of player he is. Yeah, they they got Austin Cowie from from Hawaii, who is an interior offensive lineman, and um, he's someone who. You know, Dino Babers has roots and connections out there um, in Hawaii, and then um, his 
one of his coaches um, at his school knows um, Syracuse offensive line coach Mike Cavanaugh. So there's some connections there. The fact that Dino Babers uh, played and coached in Hawaii shows that he knows the area well, and those connections helped Austin feel comfortable enough with Syracuse to be able to commit to a school that's about as far away as you can possibly get outside of the kids from Germany they got last recruiting cycle. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, that's one of those situations where it's a kid who couldn't go on the camp circuit because of, of the pandemic sits out there in Hawaii that even though there are some big-time prospects that do come out of that state, it's not one where you see 40, 50, 60 prospects every recruiting cycle going to Power 5 programs. And Syracuse, through some of their connections with Dino Babers and Mike Cavanaugh, were able to find out about this kid. They were able to watch his film, see some workouts through uh, Zoom and and, uh, virtual things like that. And Austin fell in love with um, not only what Syracuse can offer academically, what the potential is for him athletically, but then in addition to that, his relationship with the coaches and how comfortable they made him feel with traveling that far away from home. So I think it was a good fit all around um, for both sides, and Syracuse certainly needs some help up front. We're talking to our buddy Mike McAllister, CuseNation.com. Follow that terrific website and on social media for all the latest on Syracuse recruiting. Hey, while we're talking offensive linemen, a little closer to home, Syracuse uh, landed a commitment from Illinois on the offensive line. Uh, the second from an offensive lineman, it's 12th pledge in the class of 2021. Tell us about Wes. I believe it's Hoe is how you say this. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that is correct. Um, Wes is a really good, very stable, I would say a, a very high floor type of a prospect in that he's not someone that's going to come in and be absolutely horrendous for you. He may not end up turning out to be someone that's going to be a first-round NFL draft pick but certainly is a guy who plays with low leverage, which you like to see in in offensive linemen, um, has a lot of strength, and is another kid who a lot of Power 5 schools were looking at but wanted him to come work out for them in person at some of their camps. Since those weren't able to happen, Mike Cavanaugh saw enough uh, potential in him and saw enough skills that he liked that he was willing to extend that offer, and then once he did, they recruited him extremely hard. And he actually took a walking visit out to Syracuse where he and his family traveled to central New York, walked around the Syracuse campus, saw not necessarily inside all of the facilities and things like that and couldn't sit and hang out with the Syracuse coaches, but got a feel for what the campus is like, um, some of the buildings that the Syracuse football players frequent and those types of things. And then, um, you know, that was enough to sort of seal the deal for him. So two offensive linemen that they got. Um, in in recent weeks, and two guys with potential, one maybe with a little bit higher of a floor, the other with a little bit higher of a ceiling, but two guys that they really like that should provide some depth up front. Let's get the latest basketball headlines here on the recruiting front, Mike, including a 2022 five-star forward that Syracuse offered recently, Jerace Walker. Yeah, he's Syracuse in 2022 is really shooting for the moon here. I mean, we know that they've already got Dior Johnson. They're recruiting elite prospects like Chance Westry, Roddy Gale, Zion Cruz, those type of players. And then you add in another five-star, a five-star forward in Jerace Walker. Um, he recently did an interview on 24-7 Sports where he said four schools that were kind of standing out to him right now not necessarily a top four, still very early for that. Um, Syracuse wasn't listed, but they also just recently offered. Now, he's playing down at IMG Academy in Florida, but is originally from the Baltimore, Maryland area. 
Syracuse has had some pretty good success recruiting players from that area, including five-star small forwards, as it were, in one Carmelo Anthony. So I'm sure that connection will be brought up quite a bit. He is an absolute elite-level player, and he could grow so that he could play a little bit of the four at the next level, but his skill set is absolutely perfect for what Syracuse likes at the small four position. They're going to recruit him very hard. Might not be in that top group right now, but still a ways to go and plenty of chance to get up there. It was recently, Mike, that coaches could get in contact with the class of 2022. Now, players, if they were on campus, could visit. There were ways that they you know, could certainly interact, but this was the first week, I believe this week, or was it last week? It was recently, where they could reach out to those prospects. And just to follow up on something you mentioned, they are really going for it in the class of 2022, aren't they? And, hey, J.J. Starling's on that offer list, and uh, boy, some big names, Chance Westry, and uh, the, the commitment they got from Dior Johnson, and it just feels like 2022 sounds like a long way away, but uh, it'll be here before they know it. And Syracuse is really trying to pull in some big fish out of that pond. Yeah, they really are. And it, it begs the question, and this has been brought up quite a bit from, from fans, and, and I think it's a valid question, is is Jim Beheim still going to be the coach when those 2022 prospects come to campus? That would be the 2022-23 season. That's, you know, what, two, two three years from now? So um, who knows whether or not that will be the case. I'm sure he's telling them my plan is to still be here. Um, but I know from, from talking to recruits that if it's not him and it was one of a Jerry McNamara or an Adrian Autry who took his place, I'm not sure it would impact those guys a ton uh, because of how hard those coaches are recruiting those guys. I still think most of them would feel pretty comfortable about coming to Syracuse. But, you know, going at, you've got a guy who's in the top five in the 2022 class already committed. He's trying to get a couple other guys who are top 20, top 25 type recruits in Zion Cruz and Chance Westry. They just offered Jerase Walker, who's in the top 10 in the class. They got offers out to a, a few other guys who are in the top 40 or top 50. A guy named Roddy Gale, who isn't talked about enough, who's right around that 50 mark, is someone who I think is still vastly underrated at that ranking. And so, you know, if, if they end up getting, you say, two to three to four of those guys, they're really loading up for the potential that 22-23 season could be one where they've got as loaded of a roster as they've had in recent years. Michael, always appreciate the time and the insight, my friend. Uh, you keep up the good work. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, we will certainly uh, catch up again soon. You as well, Brent. Appreciate it.